anybody that creates content has got to be audience focused. And I think a lot of branded content can be poor sometimes um, because they don't have that focus on audience. You know, it's not advertising. Content isn't advertising. You're listening to the Content 10X podcast, where it's all about content repurposing. I'm Amy Woods, and I'm here to help you maximize your content and find smart ways to get your message in front of more of the right people, whilst also saving time. Let's get started. and welcome to this week's episode of the Content 10X podcast. I'm your host, Amy Woods, and this week's episode is a guest interview with Matt Deegan. And we're talking about audio content and how you can reach your audience. Now, even if you don't currently create audio content, keep on listening because this episode is relevant to anyone who creates content and is trying to build an audience. Now, Matt is the co-founder and creative director of new media and radio consultancy firm, Folder Media. He helps develop new businesses for Folder and also advises a cross-section of UK radio and entertainment companies on how to grow and develop their businesses. Outside of Folder, he's co-created Podcast Awards Limited, which runs the British Podcast Awards and the Australian Podcast Awards, and he also presents the Media Podcast. We have a great discussion. We talk about how we are all in the content industry despite the medium and what we compete for is audience attention. We also talk about investing in your content and making the right decisions based on expected outcomes. Also about being audience focused, the repurposing and multi-platform approach that Matt's Fun Kids brand and show has. And also we talk about companion content. Let's jump in. Matt, welcome to the Content 10X podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Amy. Great to be here. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I've, I've interviewed so many different people from um, different specializations in podcasting and video and live streaming and all the social platforms. But this is the first conversation with someone with such a you know deep specialization in, in radio as well. So it's mm. really interesting to have you on. <laughs> when you started your career, what was the state of podcasting as an industry at that point? It didn't exist. So I graduated no. in 2000. Uh, so uh, pre um, pre broadband, uh, pre mobiles were, were out, but we we're talking two G land. Um, podcasting was still going to be about five years away, four or five years away at that point. Uh, so very kind of traditional broad, broadcast environment, um, uh, and people starting to grapple with the internet uh, and what is a website and all of those sorts of things. Uh, so it's been yeah a, a uh, a transformative uh, 15, 20 years since since that point. Yeah, it's a good job that you're the kind of person that obviously likes and embraces change and <laughs> innovation and things like that, because I think, you know, if you were, you know, in the audio industry and, and not of that frame of mind, it's been quite a, a lot of changes over the, the time that you've had your career in, in yeah. the audio industry. Mm. I was talking to someone the other day and I was saying that I'm probably like a listener person. You know, I'm always really interested in listeners and why do they listen to things and what they like? Uh, maybe it's sort of people pleasing, you know, we want I want to make stuff or help stuff exist that people really like and enjoy. Uh, and uh, I'm not that bothered how they consume it. it. It could be a broadcast radio. It can be 
podcast form, you know, what's the right thing at the right time for a consumer? Um, you know, they are our kind of North Star. I think sometimes it's quite easy to lose track of the fact that you've got to um, be aligned with them and, and how their consumption is changing. And obviously we've just, just about come through a pandemic and uh, there's been lots of audio changes, you know, just from environment, people not being in their cars so much and not being at work so much, being at home, moving from an environment where you have to share a radio or perhaps an audio device with your work colleagues to being maybe on your own. And so being a more individual consumer, you might go from a broadcast radio, an FM or DAB radio, to being having a smart speaker at home or having headphones plugged in. So lots of shifting and changing over the last two years. And actually what that, I think what that's done is it's expanded the amount of audio and audio types that people listen to because they've been in a position where they're able to change things around. You know, when I first started in radio and worked for, for radio groups, uh, the bosses were very keen that uh, we had a radio station that everyone could agree on because you wanted a sort of a station that a 16 year old or a 56 year old in an office could quite happily consume. Now, it might not be the perfect radio station for either of them, but it would mean everyone in, in that room listened. And that's quite a that was really important back then. Whereas now that idea, it seems almost crazy, isn't it? Something that we can all agree on when we can pop up some headphones in or um, or we're sometimes in the office or not in the office or, or whatever it might be. Um, that's a, a big change that's been driven by technology and consumers being comfortable with technology. What really jumped out at me, which made me think I'd love to speak to, to Matt on the podcast about this in a few more things, is you had an article, um, What Can Audio Learn from Mr. Beast's Success? So if there was a few things in that that I really liked. So one thing you mentioned was that um, you said that if you're in the audio space, whether it's audio stations, podcasts, playlists, audio books, you're in the content space. So you're not battling with the next radio station or the other podcast or whatever. You're also, well, your competition is that consumer time. So you mentioned that you need good content and you need noise on other, pla other platforms as well. Could you talk a bit more about that? I, I'm always inspired by what lots of people do and uh, I can generally take something from everybody and, and think about how that affects my businesses or the things that, that, that we do at our companies and um, I'm excited by it. Like, I'm genuinely super excited when someone does something interesting and you know, if you don't know Mr Beast very popular YouTuber uh, and like YouTube think of YouTubers um, I probably started watching people like Charlie is so cool, like maybe 12, 13 years ago. He was probably the proto YouTuber, this, this young teenager who didn't really have many real world friends, but was very creative and created these little videos with his webcam and sort of defined what being a YouTuber was. Now, that's been updated four or five times since then in the, the speed that YouTube works you know, through the Zoellas of the world and, and, and onwards. And I think what Mr. Beast does is he takes the sort of familiarity that a lot of YouTubers have with their audience and the fact that they are quite close to being their audience in, in, in age and attitude. And then what he's sort of stapled onto that is like super high expensive production values. So there's always been kind of prank YouTubers doing pranks and, and that kind of stuff. Well, he'll do a prank, but he'll spend half a million dollars on it or he'll give away a hundred grand or he'll give away 40 cars. I was watching one of those videos the other day. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, it, partly it's a natural evolution, but also it's very brave. It's very brave to come up with a new model 
for that and his model is get loads of views make loads of money through youtube adsense spend that on videos and repeat and repeat and repeat uh knowing that actually a lot of the money comes from back catalog so if you sort of spend the money you earn on a video over say three months for him that might be two million dollars um he can spend that on his next video but then that video over the next 12 months will earn more money because it's sitting on in the background. I think actually that's interesting. It's a different different way of thinking about it, different way of investing time and effort and cash. Uh, and the video he recently did uh, that, was, that a lot of people picked up on was that he recreated Squid Game um, in YouTube. So if you've seen the Netflix TV show, um, he did a very high production value version of all those games and he got hundreds of people to, to play them. It looked amazing. And he did loads of things in that which me as a traditional content person wouldn't have done. So if I'd spent three, I think spent like $3.8 million on this video. So if I'd spent that much money, I would have knocked out like 10 videos and how to's and behind the scenes and like all of that stuff. Um, but actually what for him and his audience, they are, they, they love exciting things, but it's, it's more disposable. So they've been and done and gone and they're, and they're on to the next thing. And, and it really, that really sort of made me think about, again, being listener focused or audio focused or consumer focused, how, the, how do the audience consume media? What's the best place to reach them? Now, he's also in a position where he has a singular platform in, in YouTube and a little bit of social that supports it. Um, and when he drops something new, or everyone sees it. So, uh, and he's a, He's a superstar, so he's kind of the Tom Cruise equivalent of YouTube. So when we drop something, it makes that real impact. Whereas I think a lot of us don't have that platform. You know, we don't have the ability yeah. to reach everyone straight away. And we've got to think more tactically about our content, both in cost and in distribution. But overall, it just made me think, um, you know, what's the evolved idea? And in a media world where... Um, driving awareness is hugely important. You know, what are shiny, clever ideas that, that really drag people in? Yeah, and I, I agree with you in terms of when I was looking at this story of the Squid Game reenactment um, and, and the millions he spent, he's had over 200 million views in the first month. He had 200 million views in the first month of his 25-minute reenactment that he spent, like you said, $3 million or something mm -hmm. on. Yeah, Netflix itself had something like 140 million in the same amount of time. I'm sure it's gone mm. on to have more, but in that first month, it, it's mad. And, and I my viewers I'd have done the same I'd have been thinking right I'm spending like millions on this so there'll be loads of videos there'll be um other content too there'll be social content but we'll do a podcast about it or whatever mm -hmm. you know what I mean all this stuff whereas as you said he knew his audience he knew exactly what his game plan was it, there might have been absolutely loads of footage but it was quick cut 25 minute distilled and that was all he needed to get those 200 million views but it depends where you are um, I was kind of playing this around with, he did exactly what's right for him mm. with the audience that he has. And like you said, he's like the, you know, the Tom Cruise or whatever. And so, we, you know, a starting out actor can't have the same strategy as Tom Cruise. Mm. Um, so it's all very much dependent on the size of audience that you have and the knowing what noise you can make, isn't it? What volume are you at at the moment, I suppose, with the, the content that you create? And, and also like what your funnel is, you know, where, where, where are you bringing people to and, and, and what are you doing? You know, if you're, 
you know, using content tactically is essential for most brands um, to bring people in, which he didn't really have to do. Um, and he could spark interest. He sort of, it's that combination of he can spark interest uh, from social to say, hey, I'm doing something. And here's like, you know, here's a photo of this or, hey, why don't we do this? Why, why don't we build that? Um, and he can sort of prime the pump with that. Then YouTube is obviously it's his, his main platform where a lot of subscribers who will see everything he does. Um, and then for him, you know, content as marketing, you know, a lot of new people would have come to Mr. Beast at that point because he did something, even though he had a huge audience, a lot of new people would have come in and that video is better than probably any of his other videos when it gets the publicity and it gets the, you know, it's very easy to write up. It's very easy to embed. And so the kind of the, the content story around that was actually driven by third parties going, oh my God, have you seen this guy? He's done this thing. And so usually if you're a media owner or you're a content creator, you've got to do all that in all the different places to try and funnel them through to your core thing. Whereas his was so big, the work that work did exist, but it was done by everyone else um, on the web or social or or wherever, pushing people to, you've got to watch this this 25 minute um, video. Yeah, exactly. The noise was created uh, for him. Um, the point that you you made about how, you know, you people who are in the audio space and your competition is consumer time. So you're battling with all these different uh, content types aside from audio content. And I think you made that great point of start making that noise on other platforms. So kind of the Mr. Beast example aside, like that strategy that generally we need where we're creating content and then we're having to look at the distribution strategy mm. and what the competition is. Who 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 do you think in the audio space is a really good example of showing how you do this well, where it's this great content, but you're aware of this battle for consumer time. So, you know, you're sort of creating the noise on the other platforms where people have got attention and trying to kind of, I hate the word hack, but you know what I mean? Like hack that attention for the content that you've created elsewhere. Uh, I think fundamentally you've got to be really focused on asking yourself the question is this any good is this has this been created to travel um does it satisfy my needs or does it satisfy an audience need and um you know we're all slightly guilty sometimes of doing things that that we want to do or that you know things that are route one to saying hey i'm a law firm here's some law things that exists. It's like that. Is, yeah, that solves a problem for you. You're explaining your product, but it doesn't really solve a problem for consumers. And anybody that creates content has got to be audience focused. And I think a lot of branded content can be poor sometimes um, because they don't have that focus on audience. You know, it's not advertising. Content isn't advertising. Um, it's something it's something different and you've got to take cues from broadcasters or content creators and think about why they're doing the things that they're doing i mean in the audio space you know radio historically has been something that um you know, captures people's imagination and it partly does that by you know the old-fashioned kind of water cooler moments hey and it's water cooler moments work 
when lots of people consume the same thing. I mean, you know, broadcast radio, Radio One Breakfast Show, or Capital FM's Drive Time Show, or something like that. You know, in your office or in your group of friends, you know, twenty percent of people might already hear that or know that or understand who the people are. So it can generate. So if you go, oh, did you see what Greg James did on Radio One this morning? Oh no, I didn't. But already they know who Greg James is, and so they're open to to, to hearing to hearing about that. Now, obviously, the social platforms for so the, the big transition over the past kind of 10 years has been um, radio groups using the social platforms to communicate video versions of uh, high value output. So be that interviews or um, uh, something that happens in a studio or uh, a stunt that they do and, and to kind of bring, bring that alive. Uh, the day the, sometimes the danger with it for, and, and the reason they do that is that they hope that that drives awareness interest and then people will consume and listen to the audio product and um in some ways that's an old-fashioned brand build you're basically saying hey we're this is this is the kind of cool things we do all the time on the radio maybe you should tune in and have a listen um and i think sometimes there is some value there but also you got to be quite lucky that you could you can convert people and sometimes by providing the meat of the content they just want to consume it just in social it's like hey i like all those greg james clips i don't need this to on the radio i'll just consume him on social now i think some media has realized actually that's fine um you know, if my audience is across a number of platforms you know they don't have to be listening to the radio station or, or consuming something else now what your business model is to support that obviously more more challenges you know a lot of radio stations make a large proportion of their money through um broadcast advertising so if you've built this great big social audience is it the best use of your time and money now actually what you see if we go outside of the public broadcast system like capital they built an amazing youtube channel a really good youtube channel that isn't just catch up hey did you miss the breakfast show here's that interview with someone they commission for that they make new content for that um and do 20 30 40 million uh, views a, a month from it so that's monetized directly and still does that brand halo brand value of saying hey we're a cool multi-platform brand that does this and maybe you would like to listen to the radio station i think that's a much more sensible option than sort of hoping and praying that just because you put some stuff on on social that, that it works okay i think there's also some people and there's some content some radio audio content people who are becoming multi-platform entities. Um, so in Australia, there's a, uh, there's a pair called Hamish and Andy, and Hamish and Andy are sort of the Anton Deck of Australia, probably the easiest way to describe them. They were radio hosts for a long time. They do big TV shows. Um, they have a very successful podcast now that they're off broadcast radio. Everyone loves them. They are one of those pairs that just everyone likes and wants to be their, their, mate, their mates of. And why that is, is one, they've got a great personality, a great relationship, and a lot of their content comes out of that relationship. But also they really think about what they're doing and what the build of ideas are, is, how that grows over time. And when you've got an idea that grows over time, if you give away like, a bit of it, an episode of it, a part of it, 
on social but explain that it's an ongoing thing well that's probably a bit more attractive isn't it like oh mate, i should listen to that podcast that was really interesting what what, what they were doing and they provided a new hook to get into it rather than hey katie perry said something really interesting and here's a clip of it it's like okay well i cool i enjoyed it um but it doesn't make me listen to that radio station so that, i think that's the other thing it's like thinking about content tactically what are you trying to communicate to people um what job do, do these things do and is there a, a storyline and your radio has historically been quite good at storylines um and how can you make that a multi-platform storyline Hey, just a little break from this week's episode to let you know about becoming a Content 10X Insider. If you want more content repurposing tips and advice, then why not join hundreds of business owners, marketers, and content creators who get them delivered straight to their inbox once a week by subscribing to the Content 10X newsletter. As well as tips and advice, you get industry updates, inspiring stories, exclusive content offers, and more. You can subscribe at content10x.com forward slash newsletter, and there's a link in the show show notes too. Okay, back to this week's episode. I was just thinking about how you said them with capital and the monetization. So they're using, when they use YouTube, they're getting millions of views. So they found that new monetization because when you see those little clips on TikTok or mm. Instagram reels of uh, Roman Kemp on his, mm. his morning show, um, which incidentally, as you were saying, I was thinking to myself, I've seen loads of those little clips of Roman on my TikTok or my mm. Instagram. And this morning, I deliberately tuned into to, um, Capital. I usually listen to a podcast and um, my phone wasn't working. So mm. I thought I'm going to listen to the radio. What will I listen to? And I went straight to Capital because I thought, oh, that Roman will be on now and I like watching his little clips on social media so I bet his radio show is really good so there you well, go great. it works on me yeah it works yeah, on and, me and, and, like, um, <laughs> and what do we know from advertising you know yeah. advertising works when you you get repetitive messages from multiple sources you know that's exactly the key to all advertising mm. so having had having him drip drip fed 30 times on on TikTok or reels um it makes it at least front of mind I used to have a I used to have a colleague who kind of did an internal course and he would say he'd get one and sit them down and say, okay, I'd be pick someone and go, name me as many um uh shoe brands like sneaker trainer brands as you can. One, two, three, go. Um, and then he did the same with uh, soap and detergent and other consumer goods. And what happens? You can name three or four. And then you can't think of any others, even though you know in the supermarket there's 50 or 60 that are, that are in front of you. And staying front of mind and, and being a choice and being at the top of people, you know, one of those top three that people think about is hugely important. And so the, 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 the drop, drop, drop can really help, can really help that. Um, I think and also what, what can you do more than that as well? So if that's always there in the background and you, and you work to, try and raise your brand value how can you also provide real hooks to yeah. drag to, to drag people in can you tell me about fun kids so as i was reading it and looking up at fun kids i saw how you devise the programming and the the multi-platform strategy so you've got you're on air the website you've got podcasts got youtube saw smart speakers as well brand um, books apps events etc so mm. you know could it be more more a perfect example of a of a multi-platform strategy how did you 
approach and work that content wise and are you repurposing across like from on air to podcast to youtube and and all of that so uh, our multi-platform need a platform strategy was driven by necessity to start with um, whereas lots of radio stations particularly and still to this day they're very successful broadcast businesses and they find it very difficult to think multi-platform because the money is, is is a small proportion now that becomes a chicken and egg you don't invest in it and so it stays a small proportion and and, and what do you do and, you know a lot of uh, radio stations are radio stations with some social media accounts and like to me that's not a particular multi-platform strategy what we've evolved to in fun kids though is is take it starting at that that point that we had before of necessity and metrics is um we've developed a, a content strategy uh that i think is is the right one for us and actually the right one for lots of people and we've changed the way that the team work to do this so we have a linear radio product so that's a traditional radio station with presenters and you know predominantly music and then has features and interviews and, and bits and pieces on um we have 11 digital ip spin-off radio stations so some we have fun kids soundtracks and fun kids naps and and things like that we have about 50 podcast channels 10 of which are sort of regular weekly shows um and then we have the website and the social media content that sits on that. Um, kids are a slightly more complex audience with social media. So we try and do a lot of on-platform and then social is more for parents. Um, now, when we have a, t- a team, uh, a team of kind of four or five content creators, some full-time, some part-time. And the first question, the first thing we think about is, um, when something comes into the radio station, so an offer of an interview with somebody. Uh, first point, is that person any good? Does it help us achieve our aims? Is that person gonna retweet it? Have they got any followers already? Um, uh, obviously, is it interesting to our audience? But the audience won't know that we didn't have that interview with that author if we didn't put it on air. So you know, it's us make that, that decision. At which point so a team member will um, get in touch and book that person. Uh, and then we're deciding where that's going to go or, or what that's going to do. So it might be probably go on the radio, on the broadcast radio station. So it will go on that author interview will probably go in the fun, fun kids book club podcast. Um, there'll be a version that will sit on the website and there might be a video associated with it. If we think that's, worth everyone's time and then that's the other bit is is it worth our time doing an interview and then doing more and more with that with that interview do we think we're going to get a good result from it then so it's booked in it goes then to another member of the team who will do the recording and they will get the presenter probably on zoom at the moment you know, bring that person up uh, in get the person uh, that, that we're interviewing and any bit of built content for fun kids uh, is pre-recorded. So we don't do any of it live. And in fact, hardly anything in fun kids is live. And our presenters voice track shows between 30 minutes and three days before um, it goes out. Um, because it's, 
the amount of stuff that needs to be live live in radio actually is very small now we are tricked into doing everything live because we always have um but if you really strip it down to you know, what needs to be live at, at what moment then just just do that part so we have an interview gets edited and that gets edited in how we want that to sound on the radio so probably a couple of parts if the author goes off on a topic we don't think is interesting for kids we can chop it out um and then it gets dropped into that presenter's future show they record links around that hey coming up we've got an interview with with this author it's going to be great um so there's promo of that because we know that interview is going to be a week on thursday say um we have a, a pack that goes out to all presenters each week with what's on every single day of the radio station because we kind of already know so they can they can promote cross promote to that we can do any social or any web promotes uh, for that content too because it's been made and edited and scheduled, it can then already be packaged to go on the website and, and go into a, into a podcast. So in some ways, the moment it goes out on air, it will then appear in every, everywhere else that, that it needs to be. And when we're on form, that happens and all those and all those elements fly. It does a good job for listeners. It's been promoted. So it's been worthwhile for the radio station. It's done some brand building. It said it's saying we're the kind of radio station that has interviews with people like this. Maybe that person has retweeted a thing and that has alerted his fans to know that he's going to be on the radio, but also maybe sort of people that there's a children's radio station anyway. Um, lives on the website, so there's some, some SEO value to that too. So all of that is, a, is an execution and we try and do that with, with all of the content that, that, sits, that sits on fun. Um, and then also repeating stuff. Radio stations are really bad at repeating content. If you have a great interview, why is it only on once? Probably at any one point on a radio station, at most, like even sort of you look at a breakfast show, seven, eight percent of your audience will have heard something. Um, so 92% didn't hear that interview and they might have heard you go, oh, my God, did you hear that interview with Ronan this morning? It was amazing. Um, well, actually, why not play it again um, or at least point the fact that it exists on a on a on a different platform? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because like what you were saying about not everybody hears that on the radio. It's a key thing that's different with podcasting, isn't it? Because podcasting, you know, those episodes will exist on that podcasting app and um, you listen to it now, next year or whenever. Mm. And whereas radio is that moment in time. So there's so much that you're doing with this content and you, you, you're making that decision, the business decision on how much time and effort you invest in the amount of repurposing that you do based on, you know, whether you think it's worth the time and, and you'll get the return on that. So you don't have a one size fits all approach for, for everything that comes in, but it's more working out how far are we going to push this? It was interesting you mentioned about your involvement in the Love Island podcast, the companion show, because again, I guess because we look at repurposing and we're looking at maximizing content and making the most from content. Something that I've often talked about is the, this companion content. And I've, I've drawn analogies in the past to things like you have a TV show and then you have a companion podcast. So Love Island and you were involved in, mm. in the companion show to it, I guess. I've, I've compared this with people who perhaps have podcasts and suggested, why don't you do a weekly uh, live stream or like Twitter space or clubhouse, whatever mm. floats your boat and whatever your audience is on and where they are, where you can kind of break down those barriers and have a companion 
live stream or something like that but the podcast that you do what you've worked on obviously much more high produced show and but do you um just really quickly final question but do you see that that companion content really works works well alongside a different format different platform piece of content yeah with love honor is a, a, a fantastic thing to work on why they created the podcast was that they had a sort of wheel of a day when people interacted with Love Island, which started at midday when they used to release a drop about what was going to be on that night and social chatter into the program, more social chatter. Then midnight to midday would be a bit empty because uh, they haven't filmed anything new by that point um, and nothing to say. So the podcast was designed to be a breakfast show right. for Love Island people. And so we made it between 7 p.m. and midnight every night and so it was on people's phones from 2 a.m or 3 a.m so that when they woke up they they had a new breakfast show every morning it's five five six days a week uh and i thought it was a great insight it was a really good insight for why that show existed and we then applied a lot of our radio skill to how a breakfast show works to it and then we we're very fortunate in that we had a good flow of Love Island talent as they got booted off the island. They then appeared in my meeting room um, to watch an episode and then go into our studio to record uh, to record a show. I always felt quite bad for them watching the programme. And it was like, geez, like three days ago you were in there and now you're stuck in an office in Hobart <laughs> watching, watching it. Um, and, uh, but the, yeah, but it would have you work within the Love Island family of programming and they made money from it. So at that point, Love Island had huge demand from advertisers uh, and they ran out of space. They basically ran out of space for product. And so the podcast allowed another place um, for that. I think you're totally right that podcasters don't think enough about spin-off content. Um, if you have a show where you talk about something and you've got a decent audience, why isn't there a midweek um, yeah. a show about the people's views? A short, yeah. a short 10 minutes mm. of, here's what you've said about the things we talked about uh, earlier in the week. Not everyone will listen to it. The only super fans will listen to it. That's fine. It's but something that, that sits there midweek. Maybe someone else should present it. And then you're yeah. growing, you're growing your kind of network of people and who your gang are. I think loads of opportunities that are just that aren't that aren't taken. A show that did a really good job of that actually was um Jeff Lloyd and uh Sarah Barron's succession podcast. So they're our husband right. and wife. He's a kind of radio DJ slash audio presenter. She's a comedian, so they're great anyway. But that's what they do. They did two episodes a week one recapping the show and then midweek uh review more like what do we all think's happening yeah what's the what do, what yeah. do we think oh that, someone's noticed this what does that mean and it meant that the, both episodes had two different purposes but if you just like them being funny then you had two hits of that a week rather than one so and there's definitely more more things that podcasters get out of it also i think one of the the dangers for podcasts um, as you, you might feel this when you're listening to this is that uh, they can be too long and yeah. what can be the uh, you know having a real focus on editing getting into things quickly um, what's the right amount of material to put in to keep people wanting more I think that's important um, uh, sometimes you look at your podcast list and it's like you just see like an hour and six minutes next to an episode and just think oh, I'm just not I like it but I just I don't know if I can really stomach that whereas maybe two lots of 26 minutes over a week isn't that much difference but uh, might make you more likely to hit play particularly you know you 
content is competitive on a podcast app. You know, you don't have enough time to listen to everything you subscribe to. Most people don't. So people are making judgments. They probably have a show that they will always listen to everything because they love it. Um, and then there's the A list, the B list and the C list. And the C list might be if it has a good title or it has a good um, guest. Um, so you constantly got to work at trying to push yourself up that list and making good shows, describing it well, promoting it well, um, different ways into that, I think, are, are important. Yeah, and I think um, I was just going to end with saying that something that I noticed some of the top podcasts, I think maybe UK, I was going to say Stephen Bartlett's Diary of the mm-hmm. CEO that's always up there at the top of the business charts. And then there's a couple of other ones like Wrong on Chatterjee's Feel Better mm-hmm. Live More. Something that they do, they have unbelievably long episodes. Sometimes Wrong and Chatterjee's episodes can be over two hours long. Yeah. Um, Stephen's can be an hour and a half, but they disperse their long episodes with these moments where it's a 10 minute episode. So it goes like two hours, 10 minutes, two hours, 10 minutes. But it's actually a 10 minute segment from um, a previously very long podcast episode call them moments or bite-sized episodes and I think that's good because if you love the episode um, and and you don't have much time to dig into something new but you think I love that interview with so-and-so it's just that quick little trip down memory lane of what they considered to be the best bits of what that person said and if you didn't get the time to listen to it you get that opportunity to listen to 10 or 15 minutes and then decide whether it seems worth committing to going and listening to the whole one. So it's yeah. a great tactic that those shows have, I think. I, I think two things there. One, it's a great entry point. So you don't yeah. have to listen to an hour, it's 10 minutes. The other thing on both those shows, um, they've both been around a long time. So uh, even the Stephen Bartlett one's been around, I think, 18 months or, or two years. It's having a good time at the moment. He's obviously become a dragon. So they have done two years of practice Um, and they've built an audience so in some ways they've earned the right to be longer so like if you think your podcast if you look at your numbers of your podcast say you've got 2,000 listeners to your podcast not bad that's pretty good that's you've built an audience Um, but if your aim is 10,000 listeners then your first 2,000 are merely the earlier adopters you're trying to attract a new 8,000 people and 20 minutes of in-jokes at the beginning is not necessarily going to attract those 8,000 people. Now, when you're at the other end, and Joe Rogan's often pointed to at this, you know, he rambles on and he's on forever. Yeah, but he's probably got 85% of his audience locked in already. He'll be adding new ones, but it's a smaller proportion. They're used to what, they're used to what he's doing. Same with, with Rangan as well. So if you're in development mode, you've got to think more aggressively, particularly about the yeah. opener what the other yeah. content is to get into it because you are trying to attract people rather than merely just satisfy who you've, you've already got. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's about what you're aiming for and thinking it's just literally we've gone full circle to the start of when we talked, which is you saying that you have got to think about the consumer. It's not for you. <laughs> it's for the consumer It's what they want and kind of thinking about that. And is it new? Is it existing? What, what, what you're thinking about what they need, aren't you? So one just last thing so often with the podcast awards and people talk about making entries i say play it to your mum or an equivalent mum-like character because i don't know what your family's like but my family are entirely disinterested in everything that i do and just go like oh that's nice dear that's nice dear and if i played a podcast for an episode to to my mum uh, and she would listen to it one she'd i would see how disinterested she is and i would also see how interested she might be about something 
And it's a great way to kind of make you think, oh God, that intro is a bit long, isn't it? Or like, oh, that is that is a bit that is a bit boring, or oh, she doesn't understand what what, what that is. And yeah, you know, that's most consumers. Your mums are just tough um, uh, on you. So I think try and find ways and people to listen to your stuff and listen with them and feel the embarrassment yourself. And that will be the thing that will push you on to making it a better piece of material. Yeah, and if you can't even listen to it, if you if you sat there with your fingers in your ears cringing, then there's there's a bit of a problem, isn't there? And then you yes. need to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, that's a great test, the the mum test. There's a book called the mum test, but it's not the same thing, is it? <laughs> this is actually the mum test. But um, oh, thank you so much. That that was such a great chat, Matt. And I'm sure we could just have carried on for ages, but I shall have to wrap up there so where do you want people to go if they want to connect with you and find out more what would be the best um place to go so if you go to mattdegan.com uh, you can yep. subscribe to the weekly audio newsletter there um uh, or you can follow me on twitter twitter.com slash matt brilliant okay of course standard line i'll add all of that to the show notes but um but yeah thanks so much matt really appreciate you coming on Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that discussion and thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the content 10x podcast, then why not hit that subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice so that you can get updated when new episodes are released. And I'd really, really appreciate it if you could leave a review as well. That really makes a difference for the podcast. Also, please do get a copy of my book, Content 10x, more content, less time, maximum results. It is the ultimate guide to repurposing every type of content and it's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback and also in audiobook as well and you can head to content10x.com forward slash book to find all the other places that you can get a copy of my book and if you would like us to do your content repurposing for you then we offer a fully end-to-end done-for-you content repurposing service this is for podcasters and video content creators we have our podcast 10x video 10x and also our specific LinkedIn 10x service helping you to become the leading authority in your industry on LinkedIn. You can find out so much more about our services on our website and also please do give me a follow on the social media platforms. I share lots and lots of tips and advice on social media about content repurposing. I'm at content10x on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and if you try content10x.com forward slash LinkedIn you'll find my LinkedIn profile over there as well. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and I'll catch you in the next one.